This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Bored of too many ads and dull, meaningless chat? We've got neither. Joy Drive, smart, fun radio. Planes, trains and all the must-sees. Joy Drive Travel. Joy Drive, Joy Drive Travel, Chris Zaya. How are you, Chris? <laughs> I'm good. How are you, Con? Good afternoon. I'm excited to have you in here because we're going to be talking about something that obviously is so important because of the cost of living. But before that, I should sort of... Look at your eyes. <laughs> You've got, you're all intrigued. Oh, yes, before that. Ah, oh, Tay-Tay. A bit of Tay-Tay because you came into the studio hey, Con, should we, should we chat about the effect that Taylor Swift has had on our tourism in this state and of course now she's north of the border in New South Wales too so what's the news you can give me with that? It's really interesting so there was a massive travel trend that was identified um, it was identified late last year which they're calling gig tripping and it was all targeted by or driven by Taylor Swift and she's put something like 1.1 billion dollars into the Melbourne economy because of the huge amount of traffic that has happened with people coming into the into the state Um, but also the, the spend that they do here hotels were at capacity if you look at anything on social media people were like kind of like we couldn't even get the dirtiest of dirty hostels in, in Melbourne. Like, so it was, it's a really interesting driver of um, the way that we behave and what we're prepared to actually spend our hard earned money on. And I know you've got Lauren on later having a chat about that, but yeah. you know, the whole Swiftonomics and what it is doing for travel is really interesting. And, and definitely, I mean, we're going to see that, that money now shift to Sydney and it's, it's, it's a phenomenon that we're taking great, you know, great interest interest in. Yeah. Because the I mean the concert itself has garnered an amazing uh recognition for the warmthness and the all embraceiveness of all those who went there, but also the numbers that has it's brought in. Um, yes, we had Ed Sheeran last year, but obviously having three nights of Taylor has had then a relative impact then on the economy uh, the- locally for the tourism related stuff, which we need to celebrate because it's been a hard while yeah. and we're on the up and yeah. constantly talk about how the up is you know, happening all the time. But I totally agree yeah. with that. You know, post-pandemic, we're looking for these moments which are actually putting Melbourne back onto the international scale yeah. of the international market. And I think my TikTok is riddled with people not being able to understand why there was no parking around the MCG. So, okay. which was really interesting because there's all these kind of TikTokers in the States that are basically going how did they get there? How did they get to the stadium? And then it's becoming an education piece. So so it's really interesting how all of a sudden this one event in Taylor Swift broadens out, ripples out, ripples out, ripples out and, and has this kind of effect on um, on people and the way they perceive a destination. I think that's fascinating. Yeah, and that's the thing I was going to sort of end on uh, before we move on to what you're here to chat to us about this <laughs> afternoon was the perception of what she's putting out there because she is on the world stage and people all of a sudden associate, well, those who don't know about Melbourne all of a sudden go, hey, what's this place we've not heard much about as compared to, let's say, Sydney? Um, and then that will hopefully pull in the tourist dollars 
after, long after Taylor's left our shores and headed off to and wherever what, she's going to. What a legacy to think that she sold out 96,000 yes. people. And that's like the biggest crowd that she's ever played to before, right? Yeah. She's on the record as saying that. Yeah. But that is just phenomenal that night after night, not just Melbournians, but Australians and other people, people from New Zealand that kind of flew over for this and stuff as well, really celebrated the fact that she was here and showed up and showed up in a happy, respectful, beautiful kind of mindset as well, which I do love. Now, you're here to talk about something. One, well, <laughs> something completely different. No, no, it's all, it's all travel related. That's what we get to lean into this opportunity when you're in here once every fortnight is talking travel, all things related, whether it's Swiftonomics. We've coined that term. I don't know if it's something else. To I, be think it's a, I think it's a thing. Or, or, or Taylonomics. I don't know. Swiftonomics. Oh, like Taylonomics. Um, one of the things that obviously we take a lot of thought, apply a lot of thought about it when we're sort of booking our holidays, of course, other than how we're going to get there. and the things we're going to do when there's accommodation. Yeah, absolutely. There's three big expenses when it comes to anything that we do with travel and particularly overseas travel. So that's how we're going to get there. So, you know, whether that's planes, trains and automobiles kind of thing, um, it's what we do when we're there. So that's the, a lot to do with um, kind of food and entertainment. And then the big expense is accommodation. And it's really fascinating. There was a big report that actually came out from Expedia late last year. They interviewed people from over seven countries and they did basically a study on how much time people put into planning mm. um, before they actually book a trip because they're trying to kind of associate and create their budgets and thinking through all of those kind of things crazy more than five hours a day was put into research um, on average if, for someone that was actually about to book a, a, a trip i find that extraordinary yeah like that's my job I don't know that I spent five hours a day. That's crazy. But then you think about it in terms of how we're sourcing our information and we're sourcing our information from, you know, social media or we're sourcing it from, you know, if you're doom scrolling in bed and it's kind mm, of all of a sudden mm. two hours later, all I've done is watch travel videos. Yeah. I, I kind of understand how that may actually then add up. Yeah. No, I agree. I think it's one of those things too that if it's a new destination, I end up being surprised myself how I can get, go down this kind of black hole of looking at things and then looking at reviews and yeah. and then all of a sudden, of course, the way the algorithm is, it will sort of then start sending me things. <laughs> this is like you got to love the algorithm. <laughs> forever in a day. So what is it that we sort of look to when we sort of decide to accommodation? What's- yeah, there's a couple of things that really influence our choices when we're yeah. actually prepared to do bookings. And surprisingly, one of the biggest things is actually recommendations from families totally. and friends. So a lot of the time, it's if they've had a positive experience or they've had a negative experience, we're going to actually take that advice, particularly if we're aligned with their values. So we like what they like, then we're going to take a lot of, um, we're going to take a lot of, cre- you know, credence in what they're actually saying. You know, my partner owns a salon. We hear a lot from his clients, particularly here in that I've stayed in this amazing place in Victoria. You should check it out. We go and do a little bit of research and go, absolutely, we want to book that. And we go away and we have um, have a great time there. Then we recommend it on to other people. So that's definitely a really, really big one. It's interesting how much online reviews do play a part in the way that we actually um, choose where we're actually going to stay. So online reviews are often done by booking sites or booking uh, places where someone has stayed and you judge them on a set of criteria. Mm. So that set of criteria could be things like cleanliness, um, proximity to the best sites. It could be value for money, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Most of them are done on a star rating and then you've got an opportunity to kind of leave comments. What I find fascinating is actually not necessarily just looking at the star rating, but the 
detail in the comments is really interesting. A lot of people often leave photographs of the actual residence. Um, so you're not necessarily getting that veneer that the hotel or the property wants you to see. You're actually getting the yep. real traveler information. Um, but you also have to look at that through the lens of this is one person. They may have had a really crappy experience that one time, but um, actually like if you read multiple reviews and the same kind of themes are coming up, then you kind of know what you're in for. And I suppose when I do look at these reviews, I also look at the ones that are not only five star, but I'm always curious the ones that sort of <laughs> are three. I mean, if there's sort of like a, a, a scattering of them, not so much, but every now and again, this seems to be every other one. I go, well, what is it that made it a bad experience? Maybe was it something personal to them that was too far from the train station, which I can deal with because I can walk. Yep. But if it's something else fundamental, like it is too noisy or it is unclean or whatever else, it could be an issue. Water pressure is another big thing for me. I like to have a good shower so I can get up and just get, get things going. But Obviously, if you're in a country where it doesn't have good pressure, then you accept it. That's the way it is. Yeah, I think the other things that I look for are like, are the staff courteous? You yeah. know, I think for our community, we need to feel safe and accepted whenever, wherever we're going. So, you know, I really look at those those comments as yeah. well. I, I think I'm a big one for cleanliness too. Like you Same. don't want to work walk into anywhere where you're feeling like, oh my, is this place riddled with bed bugs? Oh my gosh. <laughs> like, so I, I think, you know, online reviews definitely have a, have a place, but look beyond the star rating and look into the details of the comments. Um, the other really interesting one about how we choose accommodation is the accommodation type. So some of us like love what I would call a fly and flop holiday where you kind of fly into a destination and flop by a pool and it's like all inclusive yeah. and I don't want to do anything, you know, you know, serve me please. <laughs> that kind of, and I get that there's a, there's a place in travel for that kind of holiday. That's not me. Yeah. I love to get a, a standalone apartment with my own kitchen, laundry, normally in a neighbourhood which I want to explore. I kind of want to be very anonymous and kind of disappear um, to get a really uh, you know, as much as an authentic kind of experience as I possibly can. Um, and so that kind of dictates how I travel. So, yeah, we really kind of – we are kind of um, wedded to this kind of style of accommodation, which I find really, really interesting. Budget, obviously, that's really simple. We we do yep. have budgets that we've got to kind of apply to things. I've got a strategy here uh, which is called a – a splurge and a scrimp strategy. Okay, so today we've had two terms. What was the one? Uh, <laughs> this is a splurge and a scrimp. <laughs> As compared to the flopping. As compared to fly, fly and flop <laughs> and, fly. Tail and tailonomics. <laughs> tailonomics. So what's this one? So, um, so this strategy is about if you're going to want to go to somewhere that's pretty amazing and you want to splurge on a piece of accommodation, absolutely do it. But if you've got some kind of connecting destinations, maybe they're the ones that you spend less money on. So you're kind of balancing out your budget based on the experiences that you want to actually have. So, yeah, so splurging in one play, particular place, but knowing that you're going to have to scrimp somewhere else to kind of make that happen. Uh, we're chatting with Chris Zyra from Lonely Planet about when it comes to sort of choosing your holidays, what you do to organise, and particularly when it comes to accommodation. Um, now, we talked about reviews um, I would call them what red flags. There are certain things you, you look for. We mentioned some of them. Obviously, the star rating is kind of quite an, an easy way to look at things. But beyond that, I mean, we need to be aware that there are going to be the sterling kind of pronouncements made by, dare I sort of say, the actual accommodation providers. Yeah, uh, friends and family who may sort of totally get their things to sort of make it spruik it even better than what it actually is. There's a there's a, a, a phrase called review bombing. So that's number four, right, Con? Okay. okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> so there's a phrase called review bombing, and this is where accommodation is often given really great ratings, but there's potentially no commentary behind it. So you do have to question that. So one of the red flags I would look out for is if you see a five-star piece of accommodation or a 10 out of 10 piece of accommodation, and it has absolutely no comments attached to it, that I find a problem. What I would say though, is go and see when that accommodation was actually listed on the site, because sometimes a site may have been, uh, a destination may have been on a site for 10 years and have three and a half thousand comments, but something only got uploaded, you know, two weeks ago. So you've got to kind of put that all in perspective. I think the other big one that I've heard a lot is um, what's called a bait and, a, bait and switch. So that's number five. Isn't number it? five, okay. Bait and switch. What's uh, that? So bait and switch is where you see a lush piece of accommodation. You've gone, oh my gosh, I'm absolutely staying there. Love it, love it, love it. You book it, and then within 24 hours, you get a email or a contact from the hotel or, or accommodation owner saying this property is no longer available. So sorry, we've double booked it, but we've got something similar around mm, the corner. Okay. But this is so, and often what will happen is that first piece of accommodation was actually never available and they've just hooked you in, they've got you kind of connected. So this is where you absolutely have to understand what the policy is and what the refund policy is to kind of get out of those those opportunities. Be very, very cautious if that happens to you. I've, I've heard it quite frequently happens on sites like stays and airbnb they're the they're the kind of big culprits for that that sort of thing um and if you see something that looks like ridiculously cheap for five stars it's probably too good to be true um we've seen a lot of people rock up to places like bali and they've been promised this amazing villa and it's you know it's dilapidated ruin so my other big tip here is try and do a little google earth search um, and actually see if the property actually exists (laughs) (laughs) i do that regardless because i sort of then like to plot where how far I'm away from the local sort of like um, deli yeah. or bottle shop or whatever you want to yeah. close to. Deli or bottle shop. <laughs> deli bo- <laughs> did, you, did, you con- did you just reveal something to the listeners? It's all about food and having a nice beverage afterwards. I you love want, it. If it's self-contained accommodation, you sort of bring it back to, even if it isn't. Um, now, what's the best way to approach when booking accommodation? Yeah, look, I've got a couple of tips here. Always set yourself a budget right at the, right at the outset and then you can kind of uh, adopt that sort of spur- splurge and scrimp kind of philosophy. Philosophy. Um, if you're looking, you know, well, stay longer. Grab one place, stay in one place for seven days, ten days, and shoot out and do lots of kind of day trips and bits and pieces. Understand your location. So this is really about understanding the pros and cons of each area. Um, so you know, St Kilda has its pros, Carlton has its pros, yep. the CBD has its pros. But what, is that actually going to be the kind of trip that you want to actually have? Um, again, think about self catering versus all inclusive. Yep. Um, self catering potentially is cheaper um, but, and you need to know where your uh, local supermarkets are as well um, and the other big one is know the law because there are certain places where you can't, for instance you may run foul of the law because you actually can't book an Airbnb um, so you know New York City's just brought in some short term rental laws so just being availed of those kind of things is really important that's kind well. of quite a concern because you need to be across those laws mm-hmm. that are uh, I mean you could be sold a product uh, which is accommodation that the person that sells it to you won't mind but Take you are the person. You are the person that's going to be then uh, caught up in the tangle if there is a an issue that, to do with the law and breaking thereof. Okay, there's a bit in there, isn't there? There is a bit in there, <laughs> but, but it's all. I mean, it's all helpful, tangible advice. Like what you sort of said about if it's too good to be true, it is too, too good, good to be true. true. <laughs> um, using those kind of sensibilities, that gut instinct about when you're reading reviews, um, doing a Google Earth search where you can actually see the neighbourhood if you don't know where it is, if it's a new place that you've not gone to, and yeah, just um, just. 
using your nails there. And just, yeah, and I also um, I, I love the whole family and friends recommendation yes. thing. I think word of mouth is so powerful, um, particularly if you know, as I said, if you're aligned with their you know the values and their tastes, then then that's going to be something that you really will take a lot of notice of. So I think that's a great one. Totally. Every time you're in here, actually, I do pull you to the side when the mics aren't on. I go, where have you been? What have you, you done? You totally do. That is 100% accurate. Because, I mean, it, it, it falls in that family and friends category where you sort of do want to sort of like lean into it. And I know you're the person that Polly is constantly sort of asked these things when they find out what you do. Um, and the joy listeners are all like, but Con, the microphones aren't on. What are you doing? Uh, uh, joy family, when I've got myself sorted with something, I'll share that knowledge of what Chris imparted on me about where I'm visiting and probably after the fact. So I could, you could, I could share with you my thoughts too. Gosh, it's going to turn into a review program compared to a drive program. <laughs> uh, thanks, Chris. Uh, catch you again in a fortnight's time. Yeah, as always, an absolute joy. I do like you behind this desk. I really, I really do. I love it too. I get great energy from it and i always envious because I do listen to Warren when he presents. I go, oh, I wish I was there. Joy Drive on Joy 94.9 FM in Melbourne. Joy on your digital radio, iHeartRadio, TuneIn.com or the Joy app. No matter where you are. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.